Good job, John. I thought uh, after that prayer, I might not even need to speak. That was great. Pretty much covered everything for me. Beat me to it. I, you know, I'm, I'm excited. What a great crowd, you know, for an Ash Wednesday service. It's just really impressive that everybody would come out and want to be a part of this. And um, just like John was praying, for, for some of you guys, I bet you this is your first Ash Wednesday service. Is that true for anybody in here? Yeah. So a number of folks. I thought maybe it would be good to just give you a little history lesson about Ash Wednesday. Wouldn't that be helpful? Because even though uh, some of you guys have been coming for, for years, I, I think a lot of times we forget what it's all about. And so Ash Wednesday really marks the beginning of Lent. It's the season of Lent, and it's this time of preparation. So we are coming together. We're preparing our hearts to really receive Jesus and and. Uh, just looking at our, our lives and, and really contemplating sort of how we've been doing. You know, have we been living in a way that's worthy of God? We, we have some introspection. We have um, some repentance and confession in the, the times of, of this Lenten season. And it's um, just, just an encouraging time to just really be still and, and consider just who we are and who Jesus is. And... Um, Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent, and so that's a 40-day period that leads up to Easter, which is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, it's it's uh, really a special time. Now, if, if you're a math person, you've probably figured out by now that it's more than 40 days from today until Easter. And this used to perplex me. I, I was like, wait, wait. If Lent's 40 days, why is there 45 days until Easter? And so in case you were wondering the same thing, let me tell you. So every Sunday, we come together and we have a feast, don't we? We celebrate every Sunday the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we have this feast called Holy Communion. And so Sundays are considered feast days. And so throughout Lent, a lot of times there's fasting and prayer, well, on Sundays we feast because we come and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So those days aren't counted among the 40 days of Lent. And so they're meant to be feast days. And so some of you guys give up stuff for Lent, right? And so here's your opportunity. You, you can feast on those things that you've been giving up on those Sundays. Did you know that? So you now have permission, whatever it is that you're giving up, you just feast on that every Sunday, right? Now, if it's something bad that you gave up, don't. All right, you should, have, you should have given that up a long time ago. Don't, don't just give it up for Lent, just give it up, right? But the idea is, like, you get to feast on a Sunday. Now, really good people, like Sutton, you probably just go the whole 45 days, right? Not me, not me. So that's um, really um, the beginning. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. Now, a lot of folks aren't as familiar with Ash Wednesday as they are Fat Tuesday, you guys familiar with Mardi Gras? Everybody heard of Mardi Gras? That's Fat Tuesday. Did you know that? And so here's, here's what I find fascinating. So you guys are familiar with Christmas, right? The, uh, so we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. And then you've got the 12 days of Christmas. So that goes to January 6th. That's known as the Epiphany or Three Kings Day. And so on that day, you would celebrate this um, the coming of the Magi, the three kings, and they come to Jesus. So that's the 12th day of Christmas, all right? <clears throat> well, you know when, when this, um, so it's, 
What starts then is called the carnival season, the carnival season. And it starts directly on January 6th, and it goes all the way up to Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras, as it's called, which is the day before Ash Wednesday. And what do we know about that season? If you've ever been to uh, you know, New Orleans or you've watched anything about it, you, you know there are parades, right? And there are parties and, and there's a lot of drinking and drunkenness and pretty much every immoral act you can think of going on during that time. Is that not true? Is that not what you think about during that time? And I find it fascinating that that period of time is like two to three times as long as Lent. All right, so it's like we go through this holy time right at Christmas, and then we get to the very last day, and we are all in for sin, right? You know, it's like, okay, no holds barred. We are just going to have the time of our lives, right? And we spend, you know, a hundred and some days doing everything under the sun because we know that when Ash Wednesday comes and Lent comes, we got to get our acts together, like, we got to stop that. Like, we're going to have to fast and pray. And so we got to get as much sin in as we can because that's where the fun is, right? Well, isn't that a sad, sad um, statement? But if you look at how we live our lives, that, that's pretty much true. Like, we, we come together and we have this holy time of celebrating the birth of Christ. And then we just can't wait to get through that so that we can just party and do whatever we want. And then we wait till the last day, and that's the biggest day of that carnival season. That's Mardi Gras. No holds barred. And then starts Ash Wednesday. And it's a time of repentance and introspection and really just focusing on God yet again. So um, I just think that's an interesting statement about us as as people and how we tend to, to view God and things that are supposed to be right and good and pleasing to him, we don't see those things as the fun things. We see the things that are completely contrary to that as the fun things. Well, wouldn't it be great if the folks that are or were partying like crazy yesterday would experience the joy and the celebration of Easter Sunday and the resurrection of Jesus and understood what a great celebration that is? Wouldn't it change everything? So that's what we want to take a look at this morning. Or we're not, it's not morning, is it? It's, it's night. Now, one of the things that I, I find interesting, so in a, in a minute or a few minutes, we're going to um, invite you up, and you're going to have the opportunity to have ashes imposed upon you. So um, we will impose ashes on your forehead in the sign of a cross, or if you're not into that and you would like us to do it on your hand, we will do that and put a cross And so we'll explain that in a little more detail in just a a minute or two. But when we do that, we're going to quote from Genesis. And it's Genesis chapter 3, and it's verse 19. And these are the words that we're going to say. We're going to say, you are dust. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. So one of the things that I find interesting is during Lent, the focus is on Jesus, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. Lisa and her team even came up with these great scratch and sniff things. And uh, I haven't scratched nor sniffed them, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to scratch it. So each day during Lent, 
you scratch one of these things off. Okay, and so today it says Jesus is, and then you fill in the blank, Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel. And so for each day, and if you haven't scratched yours off yesterday, and it does not smell at all, the, uh, but it, today it's focusing on Jesus as Emmanuel. Anybody know what Emmanuel means? God with us. God with us. So each day throughout Lent, and look, this is a bonus. We're giving you all 40-some, more than 40, and you're going to have all those days, and you can scratch them all, and you're going to um, learn a different attribute or be reminded of a different attribute of Jesus, right? And so the thing that I find interesting is we're all focused on Jesus during Lent, but we're quoting from Genesis. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what's up with that? What's up with that? So that's what I want us to, to consider. So we're going to go all the way back to figure this out, all the back, way back to creation, back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, when God was creating man. Now listen to this. <clears throat> then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The man became a living being. I think this is interesting. So the Hebrew word for ground, and so if you know the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew. So that was the language. So the Hebrew word for ground is Adamah. Adamah. Now, do you know what the Hebrew word for man is? Adam. Adam. Isn't that interesting? So from the ground... From the dust of the ground, Adamah, came the first man, Adam. Adam. We are dust. We all come from dust. Where did Eve come from? We're told she came from the rib of Adam. And do you know what the, the name Eve means? It means life giver. Life giver. Isn't that beautiful? And so all of us, originated from dust. God breathed into that dust and gave us life. From Adamah to Adam to Eve to us. So um, I find it fascinating. You know, these names make a lot of sense. That's one of the neat things about the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the significance of the names. Now, everything was going really well. After Adam and Eve were created, they didn't have any marital strife or issues. They didn't need a counselor or any of that stuff back then. And uh, they had a great relationship with God, and they would go on these long walks with God through the Garden of Eden, and it was just so sweet and special. But then came Satan. And Satan, if you didn't know this, Satan was an angel. He was actually the most brilliant and beautiful and gifted and powerful angel that God had ever created. And yet Satan was not content with his position. He wanted to be equal to the Godhead. Well, God wouldn't have it. And through a series of events, God cast Satan out of heaven along with one-third of the angels. One-third of the angels sided with Satan Instead of God. And they were cast out of heaven as well. Well, 
Satan is so full of pride, and he wanted to hurt God. He was rebelling against God, and he thought, what is the most precious thing to God? And he knew it was mankind. You know why? Because you and I have been created in the image of God. We are his most special creation. And Adam knew if he could break apart this relationship between us and God, then he could do great damage. He could hurt the heart of God. And so that's what he attempted to do. And so he went in the form of a serpent to Eve, and he was so cunning. And he began to sow these seeds of doubt within Eve and got her to question God's goodness and whether God could truly be trusted. She planted a seed and and challenged what God had said, not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he convinced Eve that if she would eat of that tree, eat the fruit of that tree, then she would become equal with God. Well, you guys probably know the rest of the story. What did Eve do? She ate the fruit, didn't she? And then what did she do with the fruit? She gave it to Adam. And what did he do? He ate it too. And all of a sudden, sin entered the world. They chose evil over good. They chose to listen to Satan as opposed to God. Now, there were consequences for their actions. And it it caused a brokenness in their relationship. And this brokenness has been something that we've been experiencing ever since. There's this separation between mankind and God because of the sin of that first man, Adam, and that first woman, Eve. Sin has great consequences. And so God addressed these consequences with the three of them. And he began with Satan. Listen to what he said to Satan. This is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Now listen to this part. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is known as the Proto-Evangelium. The Proto-Evangelium, that's just a cool word that just means the first announcement of the gospel. This is the first announcement of the gospel all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Now, if you've been coming on Sunday mornings, you know that we've been talking about the gospel. And we've defined the gospel as the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what we see taking place here is the first announcement about this good news of Jesus Christ. But it's way in the future, isn't it? And so um, God is already looking to the future, and he's predicting, he's he's saying that um, there's going to come a man on this earth. And we know him to be Jesus. And one day he is going to crush the head of Satan. Now, Satan's going to get his licks in too, right? And and this man is going to be hurt. He's going to be struck like on the heel. And and we know what happens, right? That that Jesus comes and and he's going to suffer greatly at the hands of some evil men who are probably unknowingly doing the will of Satan. And ultimately, it led to Jesus' death. And in that moment, Satan thought he won. You know, that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to destroy God. But he didn't, did he? See, he played into God's hand. And on the third day, you know the story. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. He conquered death. He took away the power, the ultimate power that Satan had. 
No longer do we, through faith in Jesus Christ, need to fear death, do we? Because Jesus conquered death. And he says, if you become one of my followers, one of my disciples, you don't need to fear death either. Because just as I conquered it, you will conquer it too. And so that was what God was talking about all the way back in Genesis. He was already pointing to this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ way back then. And I think that's just such a beautiful thing. Now, here, here's the sad truth of it, that um, at that moment when, when Jesus rose from the grave, Satan wasn't forever vanquished, was he? Like, he, he's still alive and well. We, we see him actively working in our midst. We've all experienced evil, and, and, it's, and the pain of it, right? And the pain of death and dying. See, just, just like God was saying, we still we still end up dying and turning back into dust, if you will. See, but there's still another promise, that one day Jesus will return again. And this time, when round two comes, he's going to ultimately defeat Satan. And he is going to banish him to hell forever. All right, And that's what we have to look forward to. But in the meantime, we are still suffering the consequences of those actions of Adam and Eve. Now, I, I want to share with you um, the consequence that God said to Adam. So listen to this. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. He said, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. What do you think he's talking about? Dying, right? Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So remember, how, how do we come about? God breathed into dust, right? And man was formed. And one day, we will all die, and we'll return to the ground, and we will become dust. Now, um, the good news is, that if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear that day. We don't have to fear are our bodies beginning to break down and deteriorate? And, and if you know anything about that, like eventually um, your body will turn to dust. It'll turn to dust. But the beauty of a relationship with Jesus is that your spirit continues to live and reign with God forever and ever. And not only that, but, but if you read what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, you're going to discover that not only does our spirit live on, but we're going to get resurrected bodies, kind of like Jesus had when, when he rose from the dead. Remember, a lot of people didn't recognize him at first. You know, there was something different. Like they, they knew it was Jesus, but they just couldn't figure it out because there was a little something different about his resurrected body. Well, we're going to receive those resurrected bodies as well. That's the good news. That's hope for us in the future. Now, as we come into this Lenten season, um, I, I, I think there's, for me, there's two hopeful responses to it. Here, here's one of the hopeful responses I, I you know, ho again, hope for each of us. Um, if you are already a, a believer and a follower of Jesus, then my hope would be this would be a time where you just humbly come and, and you just sort of take inventory of your life and you consider how you've lived your life and you recognize in the midst of that your great need for Jesus. And then hopefully in the midst of that, you have this real spirit of, of thanksgiving. You're just thankful 
for what Jesus has accomplished for you through his death and ultimately through his resurrection. So that's one hopeful response. The other one is similar. For those who have not yet committed their life to Jesus, then hopefully, you know, you humbly come and you examine your life and see how you've been living apart from Jesus. And the hope would be that you're going to recognize that it hasn't really been going all that well. And that you turn to Jesus and you experience this new life that he has to offer you. And you begin to experience the power that is now available to you over sin and over Satan as well. And so that when we come to Easter, this Easter, you find it to be a celebration like never before. And you realize this is the greatest party you've ever attended. This is what true life is all about. So that is my hope for each and every one of us as we enter into this Lenten season.